Mary. So I'm going to read two passages that tell us a bit of the story of Mary. First of all, from Luke 1, 26 to 38. And then I'm going to miss a few verses out in the middle and go from 46 to 56. So this is Luke 1, 26 to 38, and it'll be on the screen. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favoured. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favour with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, sixth month for no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your words to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. And then moving on in the story, so um, Mary went to Elizabeth's house, and this is the, um, the words that uh, were spoken, or song that was uh, pulled out of her at that time. So from verse 46, and Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. So this is Mary, who we think we know, don't we? We think we know Mary. She's a, a pivotal character in the story. She's been painted numerous times over the years, so there's loads of art pieces of artwork that depict Mary looking a particular way. She's been acted in nativity plays. Anyone here ever played the role of Mary? Oh, there's one person who hasn't got their hand up who I know has played the role of Mary. <laughs> I never got to play Mary, very sad. Um, she's been written about as well, hasn't she? So we, we think that we know who Mary is, but um, I came across this book in Advent. It was, uh, it was av heavily advertised um, all over social media, and I think Stuart sent me a text or an email as well saying, have you seen this, have you got this? Um, and I tried to get hold of a copy, and it sold out 
really quickly. So I eventually managed to get it about halfway through Advent, which is why you can see that my post-it note is halfway through and not at the end. Um, but it's a book called Mary's Voice, and it was written by a lady called um, Amy Orr Ewing. Um, and she's a, a theologian. She uh, works as an academic, but she is amazing at unpacking deep stuff in a way that's accessible and understandable. And um, some of what she shares in this book are some of the things that I will share with you this morning. And she describes how Mary has often been depicted, say in art, for example, as a kind of mute, almost faceless character. You know, someone who is sort of looking down um, and doesn't really have very much to say. And if you've played her in a nativity play, you may well have not been given any lines to speak because quite often it's Joseph that gets the lines. It's Joseph that gets to say, you know, knock on the door and say, have you got any room in the inn? And Mary doesn't get any lines at all. And so I think I agree with, with Amy as she says that, you know, we've sort of focused mainly on Mary's unquestioning sort of um, obedience. That's the word I was looking for, unquestioning obedience. But if we sort of peel back the layers of the text a little bit this morning, we can see that there's another person. There's another Mary, a different Mary, who points us to Jesus. So we're going to have a look at three different things that help us to um, understand something new and fresh about Mary. First of all, we're going to focus on this description of her that there was, that she was highly favoured. And then secondly, that she was greatly troubled. And then finally, that she was overshadowed. And I wonder if you had to come up with a two-word description of yourself what would you come up with? What two words would you use? Just have a little think about it now. Be polite, even in your thoughts. Jesus is watching, listening, looking at your thoughts. What two-word description would you come up with for yourself? Would you come up with highly favoured, um, as the angel did for Mary? Just have a little think about it for a moment. Two-word description of yourself. What are you going to call yourself? Okay, I wonder what two words Mary might have used before this encounter with the angel. I wonder whether she would have called herself highly favoured. Um, I'm not convinced. I can't imagine that highly favoured would have been her first choice of word. I don't think it would have been. So a little kind of recap, if you like, Mary's biography. Lots of us know these facts already, but just a little sort of reminder about who Mary was, just the facts that we, uh, that we sort of hope that we know. She was about 14, we think, possibly a little bit older than 14. She was engaged to be married to Joseph. And um, she was living in this place um, that was a bit of a backwater, really, Nazareth. You know, it wasn't a particularly important place. And it was in an occupied country. So the, the Jewish people were not able to rule their own country. The Romans had taken over. And so she was living in this place of real instability. It wasn't a safe place to be. Probably something akin to Ukraine right now. Okay, So not necessarily with the war factor of that going on, but actually occupying troops. So soldiers on the streets every day, that, that sort of environment. And let's face it, if you're going to choose someone to introduce the, the saviour of the world, you probably wouldn't go for a 14-year-old kid in a backwater, in an occupied country with loads of soldiers roaming around, would you? If you're going to introduce the saviour of the world. I mean, why not 
go for someone like the Emperor of Rome to introduce the saviour of the world? Why not go for Caesar Augustus? He had great authority. He had just ordered this census across the empire. You know, maybe he would have been a good person to introduce the saviour of the world. But highly favoured is what the angel calls her. And highly favoured she is because she's chosen by God to bring, not just to introduce the saviour of the world, to, but to bring the saviour of the world into birth and into the world. And so Gabriel calls her highly favoured. And that status that she has before God isn't dependent on the fact um, that she lives where she does. It's not dependent on the fact that she's 14 and that she lives in Nazareth and that she's not got a lot going for her. It's not dependent on her education. It's not dependent on her wealth. It's not dependent on her position in her family or in society. It's just dependent on what God said about her. And the message is that she is highly favoured. And later on, we read that she received this message in all its fullness. And we're going to unpack that a little bit more later. But she began with the words in verse 46, you know, when she'd got to Elizabeth's house, and Mary said, okay? So Mary knows that in the world's eyes, she's not highly favoured. But her ultimate response to that news is that this is God's assessment of her. This is God's proclamation of who she is. And that causes her to release her voice. Those words, and Mary said, in the ancient world, are really, really unusual. She's a woman. She doesn't have a voice. Her, vo her, um, her way of speaking and um, the words that she says don't hold up in a court of law. So if you've ever been a witness in a court case and you're a woman, that wouldn't happen in the first century. You didn't get to do that. You didn't get to speak out for herself. So the fact that it says, and Mary says, first of all, proves to us that these are her words. Luke recorded Mary's words, but also she's absorbed this message that she's highly favoured. I wonder what your two-word description was a minute ago. Do you know that you are highly favoured? I, apparently, am highly favoured. It's not just for Mary, those words, highly favoured. It's not just for the ones that seem to get the big jobs, you know, um, or who look or sound more impressive. God doesn't show favouritism, Romans 2 verse 11 tells us. So just go back to those two-word descriptions for a moment, if you manage to think of one, or think of it now. How would you describe yourself? How do you describe yourself? In two words. I imagine it's probably not highly favoured. I think that's my personal journey. I would struggle to receive the words highly favoured as a description of who I am. I would find that really difficult if someone said that to me. You know what we're like, especially as Brits, I think we'd sort of say, oh no, that's not me. I'm not, I'm not that important. I'm not that good. But that's the truth. In God's eyes and in God's mind, we are all highly favoured. The angels declared it again, didn't they, as they proclaimed the message to the shepherds. You know, when they're out on the, the shepherds are out on the hillside and the angels say, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favour rests. That's everyone. That's everyone on earth. His favour has rested on us. We are highly favoured. So I wonder, what two-word description are you going to allow to be spoken into your life and your mind and your heart over Christmas, over the next couple of days? 
Are you going to allow the word, two-word description that someone else has given you? Someone from your past, perhaps, a voice from your past, or even in your present context, your family members that you might spend time with over the next couple of days. Are you going to allow a two-word description that you've said about yourself, something that might not be that positive? Or are you going to absorb that two-word description that God gives you, that your Saviour gives you, which is that you are highly favoured like Mary? So the second thing that um, we read is used to describe Mary was that she was greatly troubled. (laughs) I'm not surprised she was greatly troubled. It says that she was greatly troubled at his words, wondered what kind of greeting this might be. So she hears this greeting and her initial reaction is alarm, isn't it? That's understandable. What on earth can it mean for God to highly favor her? She must have had so many questions in that moment, mustn't she? First of all, there's an angel right next to her, okay? That's, un, that's an unusual thing in the first place. And next, that she hears that God highly favors her and that the Lord is with her. What on earth is going to happen next, she must have thought. What on earth is coming next? And she doesn't hold back at all in her reactions. She doesn't tuck away her emotions to be dealt with at a different time or never at all. And we don't know whether she cried or she screamed or she shook with fear. Whatever she did, we don't know. But we know that the words that Luke uses are simply that she was greatly troubled. Mary is Luke's eyewitness. She's the person who told him this story. I imagine she might have used more words than just, I was greatly troubled. But it was enough to make this angel respond to her and say to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. So whatever her reaction was, it was enough for the angel to respond with reassurance, but also persistence in his message. You know, he didn't sort of say, oh, it's okay, never mind, I'll go away again. He just carried on in that same vein that he'd started. You found favor with God. She was really honest in her emotions, wasn't she, and in her responses. She demonstrated to the angel that she was greatly troubled. And I think that her honesty and her vulnerability in that moment paid off. The angel provided the reassurance that she needed in that moment without changing the narrative. He didn't change the message. He didn't change his mind that God had sent him. I can't imagine an angel would be able to, but, you know, he didn't didn't suddenly run off and say, no, no, never mind. There's been a lot um, spoken about emotional maturity over the last few years, and it's something that, in my experience, when I was working in schools, was something that was talked about a lot, emotional maturity and emotional intelligence, this idea of being able to express ourselves emotionally, um, you know, as children, but also as adults. And uh, a number of Christian writers have, have started to write about it as well, and we've started to see that actually we are whole people, You know, we're not just spiritual beings over here and physical beings here and then the emotional stuff doesn't really matter. We'll just kind of tuck that away. And what Mary is demonstrating in this moment of being greatly troubled is this true honesty of a human being who's allowing their emotions to be appropriately displayed. But they're also proportionate to the size of what's happening. Okay? So if... Somebody had come along and just said, your shoelace is undone, and she'd been greatly troubled. That probably wouldn't have been proportionate, would it? It might have been more alarming for us to read that on hearing the greeting from the angel that Mary was just a bit concerned. That would have been a bit weird, wouldn't it? 
you know? An angel came to Mary and said, you're highly favoured. Mary was a bit concerned. If that was her reaction, a bit concerned, not greatly troubled, we would have thought that was strange. So her reaction is justified. It's proportionate. It makes sense to what she's experiencing. And the angel doesn't say, stop being troubled. Stop being greatly troubled. He says, do not be afraid. He reassures her with a statement that explains why she doesn't need to fear. The favor that she's found is with God. And I just wonder what we're like in different contexts, different situations, how we react in different situations. Earlier this week, someone sent me a text to say that they're disappointed about something that I hadn't done. And um, that's fine. Um, But weirdly, I was pleased to actually receive that text. And I know that might sound a bit strange, but I thought it demonstrated an emotional maturity that I hadn't seen um, amongst other people, that I hadn't actually seen in myself, if I'm honest with you, some of the time. It showed me that this person was struggling with a negative emotion, but that they were adult enough, grown up enough, to articulate that to me in words that were understandable. I was actually really pleased to receive that text, and it meant that we could have a more honest conversation about what had happened um, and what hadn't happened. And that was really good. It wouldn't have happened if that person hadn't been honest with me in the first place. You know, God made us in his image as whole people, like I said earlier. We need to live like that, not as physical beings over here and spiritual beings up there and the emotional stuff doesn't really matter and we tuck it away. And in that moment of being greatly troubled, Mary was living as a whole person made by God, that whole person that God designed her to be. And the challenge to us is to be honest like Mary was. It's hard Isn't it hard to do that? It's hard for us as Brits, if we are of that heritage. And it's hard for us just in this culture that we live in these days. But we need to be proportionate in our responses as well, don't we? Whatever we experience, whether it's from God or elsewhere, if we're greatly troubled, let's own it. And then finally, we hear that Mary was overshadowed. So the angel announces to Mary, this is in verse 35, he says, The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. So she's told that she's going to be overshadowed by the power of the Most High. And this angel explains to her what will happen as a result of that overshadowing. You know, Mary's response really changes at this point. It no longer says she continued to be greatly troubled. She understands. She's starting to understand what's happening here. You know, you can kind of almost see the thought process carrying on in her mind. Um, And she says, I'm the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. So she realizes what's going to happen now, and she's willing to play her part. I was really interested in this word overshadowed, so I started to kind of look it up in other places in the Bible. And it's in lots and lots of places, actually, either overshadowed or shadowed or sheltered. And it's all kind of the same word, more or less. And it talks about something complete and total, a wrapping up, a surrounding, covering of God's presence. So imagine a great big blanket. I don't know if you have ever, if you ever played this as a kid. You know, you sort of chuck a blanket over someone, play hide and seek with a really small child, and they think that you've disappeared because you've put their blanket over them. 
That's, it's that sort of idea that we're completely covered, completely surrounded in the presence of God. It's so powerful that it passes over us and it has an impact on us. And I noticed that this overshadowing that comes up time and time again in the Bible seems to come when there's trouble or danger or when we're about to embark on something quite sort of dangerous and and serious. So if you have a look at Psalm 27, verse 5 there, it says, he will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent. That was written in the context of trouble. It was written in the context of um, something really serious happening. What Mary was going to do, having the Son of God, before she got married, wasn't safe in human terms. It wasn't safe for her to do that. She knew that, and so did God. And she needed to not only be empowered by God for the task, but she also needed to be overshadowed. She needed to be sheltered by him from the danger that would come about as a result of her obedience to this call. You know, the punishment for having a baby outside of being married in first century Palestine, where she lived, was stoning. Imagine that. Imagine that. She's a 14-year-old girl, and she knows that there's a very real chance that she might get stoned to death. Just imagine that for a moment in your head. That's mind-blowing, isn't it? That's why she needed to be overshadowed. She needed God's protection in that moment. She needed to receive his Holy Spirit for everything that she was going to do. And then let's just have a little look at what flows out of that overshadowing. So it's this great song of praise that she then sings or says to God. She says, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my saviour. She proclaims, she prophesies what it is that God is going to do. And I um, counted up, I think it was 11 things, 11 things that God has either done or was going to do in those verses that I've just listed there. But one of the most amazing ones that she highlights is that she's, he'd been mindful of the humble state of his servant. Verse 48, if you've got it open there. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. So Mary was steeped in her upbringing and in her culture. She knew those Old Testament prophecies, those things that the Old Testament guys had said that Messiah would come. And she lived amongst this people who were hungry to be saved. They were desperate to be saved. Not just from the Roman occupation, that was true for lots of them, but there were also those among them that understood that they needed to be saved from their sin, that they needed God's rescue plan, not just for them, but for the whole world. And so Mary declares aloud with this statement that all generations will call me blessed. And she doesn't say future generations or some generations or Israel's generations, but all generations. That's everybody across the world. So that's what flows out of this overshadowing that God does in her life. He blesses her so that all generations will be blessed because of what she's done and what she's carried. She recognizes that God will save his people through his action in her. He does the work. And she isn't just this kind of empty, lifeless participant. Don't get the idea that she's just a vessel. You know, he doesn't just kind of pour the baby in and there we are, job done, it's all finished. 
Do you know it? I'm speaking as a mother here, but it takes effort to grow a baby. You know, you can't just let it all kind of happen by chance. You do actually have to kind of make sure that you look after yourself. There is a part to be played by a mother. You know, you have to, you have to sleep well, you have to eat well, all of those sorts of things. And so we have to have this willingness to play our parts. And that's the other thing that Mary shows here that flows out of this overshadowing that God does for her. She says, way back in th- verse 38, I'm the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. I wonder, will you allow the Most High to overshadow you? That same God that overshadowed Mary, that completely covered her with his presence. Will you allow that to happen to you? Will I allow that to happen to me? For God to be so present in our lives that he overshadows us, that he completely covers us and fills us. Because then I think that we can know with certainty that God is with us, that he loves us, and that he'll equip us with his power to be whoever it is that he's calling us to be, to do whatever it is that he's calling us to do. What will you call yourself this Christmas time? Will it be highly favoured? I dare you. (laughs) Will you own your emotions? That might be a bit dangerous over the next couple of days, wouldn't it? (laughs) Maybe we should wait until Boxing Day to try this one out. Are we going to be honest about being greatly troubled at times? Well, you know, there might be times when we're not greatly troubled, when we open the lovely Grinch socks or whatever it is that we get on Christmas morning. Will you allow God to overshadow you? Let's pray together.